here. Um, pray for the girls. Uh, the girls, uh, the little one woke up with a fever this morning, so that's why it's so quiet in here uh, this morning. But uh, hopefully it'll be nice and noisy next weekend. Um, last week we looked at a parable that Jesus told at a dinner party, and he had told it about a man that was throwing a feast, right? And um, this man had invited a bunch of people to come, and when it was time for the supper, uh, he sent out one of his servants and to, to bring him in. He said, oh, come on in, the food's ready. And then each one of them would make an excuse as to why they couldn't come. Uh, one guy had, uh, had the excuse about needing uh, to see some land that he had just bought. And we talked about how that was um, the love of possessions, right? That person loved his possessions so much that he didn't want to be, um, well, for us, it wouldn't want to be uh, with God. We, we put our possessions ahead of God. Uh, the next guy, he, uh, he wanted to go test out his oxen. And we said that was representing a people that put uh, work before God. Uh, and then the last, he said he had just gotten married. And he said uh, he couldn't go because he wanted to spend time with his wife. And we said that that is somebody that represents a person that today makes idols out of others or, or even makes idols out of themselves and puts themselves ahead of God. They all made excuses. And a preacher named Billy Sunday said, an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. It's a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. It makes me think about when they make sausage. You know, it's real thin and you can see through it, but it's stuffed with the sausage. And um, the outside of an excuse may seem legitimate. What you can see may seem legitimate, but it's on the inside that is causing them to make that excuse. And what's on the inside is a lie. So we talked about the reason that, that people make excuses for not spending time with God or for not having him in their lives at all is because they've made idols out of other things in their lives. Okay? Work, possessions, themselves. And it bothered me all that week that I was preparing for that sermon. And, 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 it, and it bled into this week as well. I, I, it, it, it was bothering me thinking about how we can do that, how we can put material things um, ahead of God and, and, and the lies that seem to spew from people's mouths about without feeling any conviction, right? How do we not feel conviction about the lies that we tell? Have you ever known somebody that seems like all they do is lie? Like every, you've, heard, you've heard the saying that I know they're lying because their lips are moving. It's, it's because you see them and you immediately suspect that they're going to tell you a lie, even when they don't need to lie, right? You could just be sitting down with somebody and they just start telling you a story that's made up. Um, they lie so much you almost wonder, do you know how to tell the truth anymore? I thought a lot about that this week. And I was trying to understand why we rebel in such a way against God. What, what, what is it about our fleshly desires that makes us rebel against God that way? And I was, having a, I was actually having a conversation with a lady I work with. We were talking about retirement. And uh, she said her retirement plan was to win the lottery. That, that, 
that's what she decided she wanted her retirement plan to be, was just to, to win the lottery. And uh, I think it dawned on her after telling me that that she was talking to a preacher. And she said, uh, would I have to tithe part of my, 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 my winnings? I said, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Uh, yeah, but um, I said, the, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Uh, if you're going to give it begrudgingly, you know, we'll take it. But, <laughs> but uh, she said... She really started analyzing this. She really started thinking about, well, if I won the lottery, would I have to tithe my uh, 10%? So I, I looked it up. The Mega Millions, that's the big lottery, this week is worth $300 million. That means for the next 30 years, they'll give you $10 million a year. Or you could take one lump sum of $200 million. So she would have to think about, would I tithe? Would I give the church $20 million? Her question to me was this. Would the church even take it? She said, that, that's gambling money. The church, the church wouldn't want gambling money, right? I, 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 they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even take it if I offered it to them. She's already making excuses about why she can't give this pretend money to the church in her fantasy world. We make excuses about the silliest things. She was so worried. But if we're making excuses as to why we can't give away pretend money, we're going to make excuses as to why we can't go without this possession. We're going to make excuses about why we have to be at work. We're going to make excuses about why you're putting something else before God. We just, we don't, we're not grateful for the things that we have anymore. Think about it. You, you could have lived on $180 million and you're worried about the 20. It, it is make-believe. It, it blew my mind. But we're not grateful. We're not grateful for what we have anymore. I saw a picture yesterday that, that I, I showed Kate. Uh, it said, uh, seven-year-olds today, uh, they need iPads and iPhones and tablets and computers to entertain them. And it said, me at seven, and it showed kids like speaking into a box fan, you know, that, that, that chops up their, their voice and makes funny sounds. Um, and I know grandparents, I, I'm starting to sound like that guy, right? <laughs> I said, oh, we didn't have that when I was a kid. And I know grandparents are saying, well, we didn't have box fans to talk into when we were kids. We had rocks to throw and stuff. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, you're being completely honest with yourself. When you woke up this morning and you just you wiped the crust out of your eyes and you're adjusting to the light, if all you saw, the only thing you saw in your life was what you thanked God for last night, what would you see? If that's all you had in your life. It's only what you thanked God for last night. What would you have? When you woke up, would you even have a roof over your head? Or would you wake up in a field somewhere? Would there be a car parked in the driveway? When you stumble into the, the kitchen, would there be food in the refrigerator? Would there be anybody else in the house? 
We become so accustomed to having so much that we become ungrateful to the one that blessed us with it. We become to just expect what we have, right? There's a prayer in Proverbs that I believe sets a great example for us. In fact, it's the only prayer in Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs, written primarily by Solomon. One prayer. And I, and I, think, uh, I think we should look at that today. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. If you open your Bible, it should be in about the dead center. You'll probably land on uh, Psalms. Turn a little bit to the right and you'll hit Proverbs. Proverbs 30. The second to last proverb. And we're going to read three verses. We're going to read 7 through 9. Proverbs 30, starting in verse 7. And when you found that, if you're physically able, we would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together in your house uh, to enjoy this beautiful day that you've created. Lord, just to be able to come together with brothers and sisters and open up your word and, and, and hear a message from you, Lord, that, that we would be able to come together and worship and praise you. Lord, I just ask that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Fill this place with your presence. Allow us to feel you, Lord. I ask that these would be your words and not mine. I ask that you would speak to us today as our, your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We don't know um, really anything about the person that wrote this proverb. Uh, you may have thought that, that Solomon wrote all the Proverbs. Uh, he, he did not. He, he wrote the majority of them. Uh, he, there are 31 Proverbs. So I was th actually thinking about the 31 Proverbs. So in a long month, which is next month, you can read one proverb a day uh, and go through the month and you will be blessed for sure. Uh, but he's the, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And he wrote the first 29 of these uh, Proverbs. The, the, the last Proverb, 31, was actually the words of uh, King Lemuel's mother that he just recited. Uh, I guess she had told it to him uh, throughout his life, and he recited it, and that was the last uh, Proverb. But this Proverb, verse 1 tells us, was written by a man named Agur, A-G-U-R. And that's really all we know about the author, that he had a terrible name. He isn't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, never brought up. You don't know who he is. Some claim that uh, this was actually Solomon, and he was writing in a, um, a pseudonym or a, or a pen name. 
but there's really no evidence to uh, support that. Uh, it appears that Agar was writing, or he, he addressed this proverb to two men, Ithiel and Ukal, also people we know nothing about. So we don't know who he is, and we don't know the people he's writing to. So we're not off to a good start here. But in verse 2, it says, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have understanding of a man. That's not how I would start my emails. But that's how Agur chooses to start off this letter that he's writing. Why is this guy in the book of Proverbs? Solomon wrote most of them, and he was the wisest man to ever live. Right? This guy is saying that he's not smart at all. That's okay. You know why? Because you don't have to be smart to have knowledge of God, right? You don't have to be smart to know God. Thank the Lord. <laughs> well, maybe it gets better. Let's move on to, to verse 3. It says, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Well, there goes that idea. So, we don't know who he is. He claims he's not smart, and he says he doesn't have any knowledge of God. Why is this man's writing in the Bible? It's because he is smart. It's because he does know the Lord. And we've talked about this on Wednesday nights. What he's doing here is he's being humble. He's being humble before the Lord. He's being humble before us. That in the New King James, which I read out of, uh, in most other translations, uh, the word that he uses is stupid. Okay? And the King James is brutish. But the Hebrew word is ba'ar. Right? And the definition is to be stupid, brutish, barbarous, dull-headed, unreceptive. Okay? Uh, so he's just saying that he's nothing special, right? He's not some wise, wise man. He's just saying that he's being humble before the reader. And he goes on to say that he has not learned wisdom of God. So what can we learn from Agur in these two verses? First, that he's humble. He's saying that nothing about me is special. But he's also saying that you can't learn to have knowledge of God. You can't learn. You can read your Bible and you can learn things about God. But the only way that you get knowledge of God is when he reveals himself to you. The revelation of God can only come from him. You have atheists that, 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 can, that can quote scripture and they can tell you everything that happened in the Bible, but they don't know God. He hasn't been revealed to them. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, he asks a lot of questions. Look at the first five questions he asks. He says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? He asked five questions. Who has ascended and descended from heaven? Only one. 
Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who can control the weather? Who can control the wind? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Have you ever tried to take a, 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 a shirt and, and get a bunch of water in it? It doesn't hold it. But God can. God, God can handle all matter. He can change matter. He, he, he can calm the sea. He controls the water. And the last question he says is, who has established all the ends of the earth? Who created the earth? Who made the continents the shapes that they are? Who, who, who formed it? All those questions can only have one answer. The answer is God. Only God can do all those things. He's pointing all those things out to show God's power. After he asks those questions, he says, well, what is his name? What is his name that can do that? Clearly, it's God. The next question that he asks shows a direct revelation from God. He says, what is his son's name? Remember, this is the Old Testament. And we presume that he wrote this around the same time as Solomon if it was put in the book of Proverbs. Solomon lived between 900 and 1,000 years before Jesus came. Let's say 900 years. 900 years before Jesus came, this man knew that God would have a son. That is a direct revelation. That's how we know that he had a revelation from God. And now that we know that Agar's writing is, is the inspired word of God, what can we learn from him? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. He says that God's word is pure. We see that in Psalm 12, uh, verse 6. It says, the words of the Lord are pure, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. When they purify silver, what they do is they, they heat it up so hot that it turns into a liquid. And all the impurities, they rise to the top, and they're able to, to skim all those impurities off. And the psalm says that the words of God are so pure, it's like this has been done to the silver seven times. Seven times is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. So his words are so perfect, they're like silver that's been heated seven times and had the impurities taken out of them. Do you know what the impurities are that are taken out of God's word? They're our words, Right? The impurities taken out are our words. The, the impurities taken out of God's word are our wants. They're the things we think God accidentally left out. Right? Oh, God forgot to put that into his word, so we'll add it. The things that we assume meant something different in the day that they were being written, but we interpret them differently now because they make us more comfortable. Those are the impurities that we take out of God's word. Anytime you add something to something that's already perfect, it's no longer perfect. How could it be? Right? You can go from good to great, but you can't go from perfect to more perfect. It was already perfect. 
God's word is perfect. When you add to it, it no longer becomes perfect. And Agur has so much faith in God and his word that he believed God's words were pure. So after Agur shows humility and humbleness, he describes God's power and then God's perfect word. After he does those things, he, said, he gives us this prayer that we find in verses 7 through 9. And I asked you before uh, we read the prayer, if you woke up this morning and only had the things that you thanked God for last night, what would you have? I asked you that because I think we get in the habit of asking God for things beyond what we need. Right? Lord, I need a spouse. Not me, I already have one. Lord, I need money. Lord, I need a new car. Lord, I need to hit the lotto so I can retire. We ask God for things that are far beyond what we actually need. And we treat him like a genie whose job it is to grant our wishes. It's not bad to ask God for things. God says you do not have because you do not ask. He wants to. He is a good father. He loves us. And he wants to uh, supply our needs. The problem is we ask way beyond what we need, and then we don't thank him for the things that we do have, right? We all have much, much more than we need to get by, and we should be thankful to him for what he has blessed us with. So I like Agur's prayer because he only asks for two things. The first thing he asks for is to remove falsehoods and lies far from me. The King James uh, calls falsehoods vanities. It says, uh, remove far from me vanities and lies. What is vanity? The definition of vanity is excessive pride in or admiration for one's own appearance or achievements. Excessive pride. He says, Lord, I, I don't want to care about the way other people see me. I, I don't want that vanity in my life. I, I, I don't want that to rule my world where I have to, to, to make myself appear as something I'm not. I only care, I only want to care about how you see me, right? But that's the flesh, we all have the flesh. We all care to some degree how other people see us. You know, I, um, I worked, I worked in Memphis. I was a teacher in Memphis. I worked at several schools. And uh, I don't know if you know this about teachers, but we don't make a whole lot of money. But if you pulled into one of the parking lots at the schools that I worked at, you would think you just pulled into a car show. They had Lexuses, BMWs, Mercedes Benz. I mean, beautiful, beautiful cars that you know that they could not afford. But we, we, they were purchasing these things or leasing these things or, or whatever they were doing with them to put up an appearance, right? It's vanity. It's I want people to see me as something that I'm not. I, I know, we, we, you know how we, we put together uh, Thanksgiving baskets. We, we did that at, at Agape and, and we brought the, all these East, uh, these Thanksgiving baskets, I keep wanting to say Easter baskets, we brought in these Thanksgiving baskets to the school, and we asked the, the uh, secretary of the school to put together a list of names of 
really struggling families. So that um, families that if we didn't give them supplies for Thanksgiving, they probably wouldn't be eating. So they gave us this list of names, and we called them, and we said, listen, we, ha we have these, uh, these uh, food gifts for you that we would like to give you. Whole, whole spread, just like we do here. And uh, I remember the very first lady showed up, and my buddy Curtis was there with me, and he had brought the food, and, and we were in this room, and uh, she came in, and we told her um, why we were doing this, why, why we put what we had for her. Uh, we prayed with her, and then uh, we carried the food out to her vehicle. And when we got outside, her vehicle was a Cadillac Escalade that looked brand new. It was shiny. She hit a button on her keys and the, and the back door popped open. This is somebody that could not, supposedly could not afford a Thanksgiving dinner, but is driving around in a Cadillac Escalade, which I looked up in the base model, the, 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 the bare bones model is a $76,000 car. It's vanity. It's I want to look a certain way before other people. Not how I look before God. God doesn't care what I'm driving. It's about how I look in front of other people. He doesn't want to, he didn't want to care about how others saw him. All he cared about was pleasing God. Remember, what is vanity again? It's excessive pride in or admiration for one's own appearance or achievements. And we talked about that last week. Where, where, where does sin originate? Where does sin start? With putting myself and my wants and, and, and the things that are going to make me happy. It's putting all that before God. Taking care of me first. And Agur doesn't want that. He, he wants to put God first in his life. He asks God to take those fleshly desires and move them far from him. Not just around the corner, not where he can access them later. He says, move them far from me. I don't even want to be tempted by them. Take them from me, Lord. Second thing he asks for, it's really kind of two parts here, uh, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. When was the last time you asked God not to make you rich? Lord, please don't give me any more money. I, can't, I don't want it. I can't handle it anymore. I got to open another account. I got so much money on me. We don't pray for that. It goes against everything the world teaches us. Get as much as you can. But he also doesn't want to be poor. So I don't want to be rich, and I don't want to be poor. So what does he want? He says, feed me with the food allotted to me, or, or that's convenient for me. I don't want a lot, and I don't want too little. I just want what I need to get by. That's what he's asking God for. Just enough so that I can get by. And do we ever pray this, anything like this? We do. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. God, Jesus gave us this example when he said, give us this day our daily bread. Just how much we're supposed to have for that day. We sang a song 
uh, at the end here. That's why I wanted you to sing it about holy manna. When did that happen? When, when did the manna rain down from the sky? It was when uh, the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And, and God wanted to supply for them. So he, he, he sent bread. He sent the manna down to the ground. But what did he tell them about it? He said, only take what you need for the day. Don't pick up any more. Don't, don't, don't try and stockpile it in the back room of your tent, right? Just take what you need for that day. And that's what it means. We, 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 we're, we're, we don't need all this excessiveness. I, and I know it's nice to have. I'm not, I'm not about to go sell off everything we have and sleep on pallets. Okay, I understand that we could get by in our lives like that. But we, we, we ask for so many excessive things that we don't thank God for what we already have. Verse 9 says, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? He says, I don't want so much. I don't want uh, just an overwhelming supply because then I'll forget my need for you. I'll think I have it all under control. I can do it all by myself. I have everything I need. Why do I need God? And he's saying, I don't want that in my life. I don't want it. I don't want the temptation to leave you behind thinking I have everything handled on my own. That's why it's so dangerous to fall in love with the things we have because they become idols to us. We put them before God. And Agur says, I don't want anything to come between me and God. I don't want to hold anything in such high regard that I don't recognize my need for the one that made all that possible. On the other side of the coin, he says in uh, verse 9, the, the second part of verse 9, he says, Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He doesn't want to be so poor that he has to steal. Not because he's afraid of the punishment that he might get from man uh, for stealing. That, that, that's not his concern. He's not afraid uh, of getting caught stealing and going to jail. right? Why does he say he doesn't want to have to steal? He's afraid of feeling resentment towards God. He said, I don't want to take your name and profane it. I, I, I don't want to speak badly about you. Has anyone ever been there? When things are so hard and you, feel, you just feel so low. And you don't see any way that it's going to turn around. And, and it just keeps raining down more and more problems on top of you. He said, I, I, I don't want to be driven so low that I blame God for my situation. So I, I don't want to profane your name. I, I don't want to speak badly about you. He said, please, give me enough. J just give me enough so that I don't get tempted to blame you for my situation. I think we learn a lot from Agar in, in the way he prayed and the things that he asked God for and, and the reverence that he has for God. We don't know much about Agar. Um, but we, we know 
that he, he lived for the God. He lived for the Lord. He knew that God is all-powerful and his word is perfect. He knew that we don't try to be something that we're not. Be who God made you to be. He said, don't worship your possessions and forget about the one that blessed you with them. And no matter how low you get, never blame God. He blessed you with another day. You know, it, it, it makes me think a little bit, you know, we, like I said, we don't know who he is. We don't know um, anything about him other than what he wrote here. Uh, I think a lot of people in the church feel anonymous sometimes. Well, you know, how, how can I affect somebody's life the way I'm living mine? But you see, he was a nobody in, in Scripture. We just don't know him. But we can learn so much from him. And I think that if we start living like him, other people see the way we uh, present ourselves, the way we live our lives. Um, we can make a difference in someone's life too. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for today. The, 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 the greatest gift that we, we, we had today was just waking up, waking up to enjoy your creation, waking up and giving the ability to, to come into your house, waking up and giving the ability to, to speak your word, to, 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 to witness to others, to share the gospel with the world. Lord, we, we're so grateful. I just pray that we don't let a day go by that, that we're not grateful for you and the things that we have in our lives, that you're grateful for just the air that you allow us to breathe. Lord, we love you so much. We ask that you would just fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to, to let you lead us, Lord. Allow us to, to step out of your way and follow you. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we know that you're 